brothers until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. This idea of the Lord's coming, that's Advent, looking forward to his coming to us Again, and what, you don't have to be a genius. What James says flat out is be patient. Just be patient as you wait for the Lord to come. Now, there's several different nuances of patient in the New Testament. One is just wait, and that's the one that we all get, kind of a passive. I'm just waiting on something to happen. That's not the word that James uses. James uses a word that really has the more the feel of put up with. It's the same word that Matthew uses in chapter 18 when Jesus is telling a story about a, a servant who owes a king a lot of money. And it's D-Day, and so the servant goes to the king, and the king says, pay up. And the servant says, I don't have it. Be patient with me. Put up with my inability to pay you back. So that's really what James is saying. He's saying put up with. And so then the question is, what do we put up with? And you already know the answer to that. You put up with the stuff that you don't like. This instruction to put up with is on the heels of James ripping these rich landowners who aren't paying their workers. And what he's saying to the people in the church, they're the workers. He's saying, you've got to put up with this miserable treatment. James actually calls these rich landowners murderers. They're not paying the guys. They can't eat. That makes you a murderer if they die from starvation. And James is saying, you've got to put up with that miserable treatment. In verse 10, just a few verses down, he says... Be patient in the face of suffering. Put up with suffering. You already knew where that was going anyway. We don't have to put up with stuff that we enjoy. We put up with stuff that's difficult, that's hard. The past few months, I've talked to several of you. You're putting up with. You want to be married and you're not. You want more children than you have. You want a better job than the one you've got. Or any job, period. Physical conditions not getting better. Relational tension that's not easing you could easily fill up a page probably some of you the stuff that you're putting up with it's the anti-thanksgiving things to be thankful for a few things i'm putting up with maybe more if not more numerically at least what feels more significant to us our mind tends to go to those things and what james says is put up with that until the lord returns it's difficult to do. It's one thing to put up with something that's my fault. Like if I made a bad choice, I made a wrong choice, a sinful choice, I've got to live with the consequences, all right, I can kind of saddle up to that. You know, I made my bed, I've got to lie in it. But if I'm having to put up with your sinful choice or I'm having to put up with your bad choice and I'm just collateral damage, that's, that's hard. One step farther, if what I'm having to put up with is really God's seeming inactivity, that's pretty difficult. If the reason I'm having to put up with whatever it is you've got to put up with is because God isn't doing anything, that's pretty hard to maintain that posture for very long. It'd be one thing if God wasn't omnipotent, but he is. We know he, he created everything we can see in six days. Surely he can sell my house. Or people get pregnant all the time. Why not? Well, not why not me, but, you know. How come? God. It'd be easier maybe if, if we knew God was all-powerful, but he wasn't very nice. If we knew he was mean, then it'd be all right. Well, he's just mean. 
He just doesn't care about us. But that's not what we talk about all the time. God loves you and he's your father and he's going to take care of you and he knows your needs even before you sit blah, all that stuff. It doesn't help when he's not doing anything. That's piling on. He's all powerful and he's all loving and all good. Then how come I'm having to put up with fill in the blank for however long I'm having to put up with it? Not so easy. This probably, I would say, in two years of being here, it's probably the fifth or sixth time we've talked about this. I'm not recycling. It just, it's, it comes up. To me, if you're looking at one of the top, probably three things for us to get if we're going to go long with the Lord. I would say the number one thing for you to get is who you are in Christ. You've got to have, you got to know that. If you don't know your identity, you're done because you live out of who you are. So you've got to get that hammered out. The second thing I would say to, for me is you've got to figure out what your deal is, what's God put you on the earth for, otherwise you're swimming upstream, you're going to be frustrated. The third thing for me, vital if you're going to go along with the Lord, is what we're talking about today, which is really how do you live in faith? How do we, knowing God is all-powerful, knowing God is all-good, how do we put up with when He doesn't seem to be acting? Period. How do we maintain belief that he will do something and trust him with the if, when, and how? It's hard to do. It's hard to hold both of those things. Faith has both of those components. Believe in God. Yes, you can do this. And I'm going to actively say yes and live that yes. At the same time, recognizing, trusting him with all the details, if, when, and how. Most of us tend to fall in one of those two ditches. And that's a little bit, of, I think, of what James is trying to get at when he says put up with. One ditch, it's believing without trusting. Believing without trusting. We, we know God can do something, and we're going after that, but we don't trust him with the details. It's, it's, uh, we, we end up sabotaging ourselves. We're squeezing this thing so tight. It's just, it's coming out of our, it's grabbing a wet dog. You can't. The harder you squeeze, the slipperier that thing is. And that's where some of you are. The classic, it's the couple that wants to get pregnant and they can't. And they try and they try and they try and they're coming up empty and they go to the fertility deal and they do all that stuff and nothing's working. And at some point they say, it's not in the cards for us. And they begin to pursue adoption. And she's pregnant three months later. Once they take the pressure off, once they stop squeezing so tight, here we go. And that's where some of you are. There's something that you want. You know, it's the guy who so wants to be married, but he, within ten, you can't propose in the first ten seconds. You gotta, you're killing yourself. You're, the thing that you most want, you're sabotaging because you want, you're squeezing too hard. I know you want the job. You can't go to the guy's house. You know, that's what I, you know what I'm talking about? You do that, we do that sometimes. We, we so want it. There's a story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Uh, there's a lady named Hannah. She was married to a guy named Elkanah or something like that. You can pronounce it however you want. And Elkanah had another wife who also had a weird name, um, Penaniah or something. And Penaniah had multiple children. Hannah didn't have any. And once a year they would go to the temple, this whole clan, and the Penaniah just poking at Hannah. You don't have any kids. You don't have any kids. Look at all the kids I have. And in this culture, if there, was, if there were no kids, it was the woman's fault. God had cursed the woman. Nothing on the guy. It's always the woman. And God has cursed the woman. And so Hannah is 
wrecked. Just absolutely wrecked. And every time they go to the temple, it makes it worse. She so wants a son. And it's not happening year after year. This is verse 10. Verse 11. And Hannah made a vow. She made a promise to the Lord. An oath. O Lord Almighty, if you only look upon your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. I've got this theory. You don't have to believe it. It's my theory. I'm working on it. Sometimes I think God won't, whatever that thing is, whatever you're putting up with, there's a solution to that. And this is, this is what you want. You want this solution. Sometimes I think God says no because he knows the solution will become a stumbling block for you. It'll become an idol. It will be competition with him. And I'm wondering if that's where Hannah was for years. She almost, it's almost like she wanted the son too bad. She was gr- squeezing too tight. And so God mercifully says, not yet. Not yet. Not yet. You can't. It'll ruin you to have this son. Some of you maybe know people like that. There's something they've wanted so bad, then they get it and it poisons them. It becomes an idol in their life and whole life is wrapped around whatever it is. Even if it's a good thing, if it's not the Lord, it's an idol. And so God says, "Uh uh-uh. And that might be where you are because you're squeezing so tight. And he's just saying, "I, I can't yet. It'll kill you. And he's saying no. And somehow, and this is tricky, we've got to be like Hannah. There's some way that we can say to the Lord, give it to me and I'm going to give it back to you. And you can't just pray that prayer. Hannah actually followed through. Keep reading. She gets pregnant. She gives birth to Samuel. And it says when she weaned him, I don't know, two years old or whatever, she takes him to the temple and she leaves him. We never see Hannah again. She follows through. It wasn't just some prayer that she prayed to manipulate God into allowing her to conceive. She actually left him. She gave him to Eli, the priest. You raise him. She had him for two years. We never see her again. So it's not just a matter of praying some prayer and then starting the clock and saying, God, see, I already told you I would. I don't know what that looks like for you because I, I don't know what the thing is that you need. I don't know what you're putting up with, so I don't know what this solution is. But it could be if you're someone who believes without really trusting, you're squeezing too tight, God's not, you're not going to get it until there's some way for you to open your hands up. The picture from James 5 is a farmer. James says there's a farmer and he's waiting. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. The farmer can't make it rain. He's just got to wait. And that's where some of you are. In James 1, James says every good gift comes from above. We've said before, everything we get from the Lord is a gift. You receive gifts like this, not like this. That's taking and grasping. And we just need to relax for some of us and figure out what what does it look like for us to follow after Hannah and be willing to give whatever this thing is to the Lord. He's going to have to show you that. I don't know. That's one ditch. The other ditch, it's trusting without believing. I trust God with all the details, but you're not believing him for anything. You Basically, you've given up. You've resigned yourself to putting up with whatever it is until you die. There's no, no hope in you anymore. No spark, no sense of believing God to, to do anything. And it's just as bad. Believing without trusting is presumption. 
Trusting without believing is doubt. Neither one of those things is faith. And somehow we've got to figure out how to walk the road where we believe and trust at the same time. And that's, I think, what James is talking about. How do we get there? James says, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. You might say, you know what, I've tried. I've done that. This is not the first time we've talked about it. Last time I re-upped, I did it, I'm out. Nothing happened. How long are we supposed to maintain this posture? Trusting and believing. James says, until the Lord comes back. Whenever that is. Hebrews 11 is a, some people call it the hall of faith. It's this chapter, it's, if there was theme music, it would be Eye of the Tiger would be playing behind Hebrews 11 as you read it. You know, it opens with the you know, definition of faith and everybody says, yes, it's you know, faith, it's, the, it's uh, being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. In Hebrews uh, verse 6, it's without faith it's impossible to please God. And you read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, Moses. David, yes, yes, you know, and it, the music is playing and you're, you're getting there and you're, whatever you do to get pumped up and that's this thing and it's all leading to the first few verses in chapter 12 and everyone's excited and the first two verses in chapter 12 say, therefore, because of all this, because of all this that we just talked about, all these studs who lived in faith and because of what faith is and because of without faith you can't please God, since we're surrounded by these guys, there's such a great cloud of witnesses, all these Old Testament saints, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning, the sh- scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Yes! Two verses. Hebrews 11, chapter, th- Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. Verse 39, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. That's the eye of the tiger chapter. None of them received what was promised. Not some, not most, none. That's supposed to encourage us. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Noah, David. None of them. They all died still in faith. Not having received what was promised. That's supposed to encourage us to live that way. That's supposed to keep us hanging in there. Believing and trusting. Absolutely. If we can get to a place where we can say, I'm in, period. Whether I've got to put up with blank until I die or not, I'm sticking. And you've won. I might have to die single. I might have to die with less kids than I want. I might have to die with a broken body. I might have to die poor. I might have to die lonely. I might have to die unfulfilled. There might be something that I have to put up with until I die. And I'm not going anywhere. If you can get there in your heart, you've won. You'll believe and you'll trust. One of my favorite stories is in Daniel 3. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know these guys. They were counselors in Babylon. They worked for a pagan king. 
didn't give a rip about the Lord. If you're in any position, this is a side note, if you're in any position, particularly I would say a political influence, read the first six chapters of Daniel. It will show you how to navigate through those waters. Absolutely wonderful things in there, particularly if you're in that arena. So Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue, I think it's 90 feet tall, made of gold. Every time this music plays, everybody bows down to worship. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego won't. They're committed to the Lord. They're Jews. They're devout. They say, no, we're not going to do it. And there's all these other counselors don't like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they've moved up the ranks. And so they see an opportunity to take them out. So they go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, they're these troublemakers. The music plays. They don't bow down. Nebuchadnezzar gets fired up, starting in verse 15. He pulls them in front of him, and he says, now, when you hear all of this music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I've made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, this is excellent. Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. They've got, they've won. They've, they've already won. I believe, we believe God can rescue us. But we trust, even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. That's it. If you can, I believe God can bring my spouse into my life in half an hour at New York Deli. I believe we can conceive tonight. I believe I can, I can get a, God can give me the, a fulfilling, wonderful job before the end of the year. I believe all of those things. But even if he doesn't, I'm not going anywhere. I'm trusting him. I'm sticking. That's it for us. That's what God expects. That's what James put up with it until the Lord comes back. How do we do that? He says, stand firm. A better understanding of that is strengthen your heart. Establish your heart. That word appears in Luke 9.51 which says Jesus set out resolutely or Jesus determined to go or Jesus set his face towards Jerusalem. What is your face set towards? Is it set towards Jesus? Again, Hebrews 12, fix our eyes on him. So easy for us to fix our eyes on whatever it is that we're putting up with because it's driving us nuts and it's causing us pain and it's always right here. So easy to fix our eyes on that. You've got to make a choice. Set your face on Him. Don't set your face on that. That's not going to strengthen your heart. That's going to sap every good thing you have. If you can look at Him, if you can make a choice to look at Him, He'll strengthen your, he'll strengthen your heart. How do you do that? Simple. Not easy. Simple. You choose. You just make a choice with whatever amount of will you have. I'm going to look at him today. There might not be any emotion to it at all. That's fine. There might not be anything in you that says, this is going to be a great day. doesn't matter. If you will choose to set your face on him, he'll strengthen your heart, and you'll be able to put up with. If you're a Christian... The Spirit of God lives within you. He'll help you. It's not, 
doesn't matter how lovey-dovey you feel towards Jesus. It doesn't matter how righteous you feel. The Spirit of God lives within you, and He will give you grace to choose to set your face on the Lord. All He needs is a little bit of cooperation from you. That's it. I'm going to do it this morning. God, I'm going to set my face on Jesus. Jesus will strengthen your heart, and He will give you the grace to put up with whatever it is you've got to put up with. He'll give you the grace to believe and to trust. You won't squeeze too hard, and you won't give up. Maybe you'll get whatever it is you're looking for. I don't know. I can't guarantee. I don't know. You might or you might not. I don't know. But I know it won't matter quite as much because you'll win. Because you'll be living in faith. It's pleasing to the Lord. Let's pray. God, this is tough for some of us. I guarantee the people in this room figured out where we were going and they were like, not again. Third verse, same as the first. I'm out. How many times am I supposed to re-up? And God, my prayer for those guys is until Jesus comes back. God, that you would strengthen us until Jesus comes back. God, that with whatever part of our heart we can make a choice to set our face on Jesus, that we would. And Holy Spirit, you would take that invitation and that you would strengthen our hearts and you would give us grace to put up with. We don't have to put up with on our own. We put up with through the grace, the strength that you give us to do that. God, I pray for those who are just, they're squeezing too tight. God, I pray that they would trust. You would show them what does it look like for them to trust you. And God, again, for those who are, who've given up, that they would make a choice this morning to get back in the game. God, I pray that that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that attitude, that conviction, that faith, that courage, Lord, I pray that would be within us. And maybe we think, if I was ever, if someone ever put me in front of a 90-foot tall statue, of course I wouldn't bow down. Our temptations are not nearly that obvious. Our choices are, for none of us, do we choose between a statue and a furnace that we can see. So God, give us eyes to see the temptation that is in front of us and give us the grace like them to say, I'm not bowing down. God can fix this. God can bring my spouse to me. God can help me, whatever it is. But even if he doesn't, even if God doesn't do that, I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking. Stir that within our hearts, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with worship.